toleration be the love before pride and exaltation be the love be the love you are listening to be the love to awaken our souls we are souls on the journey and our mission is to awaken all humans to a higher state of consciousness and live vibrantly as spiritual beings We are here to open up the conversation to heal, awaken, and connect ourselves and the planet to a higher vibration of love frequency. I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey. And we are your co-hosts at Be The Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and ascending with us. It starts with you. Everything you need is within you. This is your time. This is Adrienne Elise of the Supernova Soul Tribe. This is Nicholas David Mann. Namaste. My name is Nistella Joy Davy. This is Ron Interpreter, and you're listening to Be the Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Be the Love to Awaken Our Souls. Thank you so much again for tuning in this week. I'm Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey with our special guest, Nina Simmons. We are your co-hosts and souls on the journey, and we would like to thank our Patreon supporters for allowing this weekly conscious conversation. We are so grateful for all the support we have received with monthly donations on Patreon, the five-star written reviews on iTunes and Spotify, and the connection within our Awakening Souls Facebook community. We are on a mission to raise the consciousness of humans and the planet, and we need your help. Please spread the word to your family and friends and join us every week. And if you like what you hear, support us in a way that raises your vibration to love. And if it feels safe for you, I'd like to begin to invite you to get centered with us. I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a beautiful cleansing breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, releasing anything that is keeping you from being present. And take another deep breath in through your nose, breathing in calm, peaceful, loving energy, and breathing out anything you are ready to release in this now moment. And take one more breath in through your nose, breathing in light and love for yourself. And imagine breathing that light and love and send it back to all of humanity. Remembering that you always, always have your breath to come back to. Our guest today is Nina Simmons, a social entrepreneur and co-founder of Bioneers, has innovative ways of regenerating community and remembering interconnectedness. She's worked with over a thousand women leaders who are diverse across disciplines, race, class, age, and orientation to create conditions for mutual learning, trust, and leadership development. Her award-winning book is Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership, and her earlier book is Moonrise, The Power of Women Leading from the Heart. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Nina. It's a pleasure to be with you both and with everyone listening. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about your journey and what has led you down the spiritual path? I was raised without any spiritual practice, but in my 20s, I think, well, but very early on, I realized that I had a deep, deep affinity for being in the natural world. And even though I grew up in, a, in an urban setting in New York City, um, I knew as a kid that I would go to Central Park whenever I needed grounding and whenever my, my emotional life felt turbulent. And um, then in my 20s, I spent about five years studying with a school for consciousness that was called Eureka. Mm. And it was my big introduction to having a spiritual inner life. And it was an amazing experience that really afforded me a toolkit that I feel like I've used my whole life. You know, it was created by a Bolivian mystic and named Oscar Ichazo. And he brought together um, this kind of uh, curriculum 
gathered from all the world's great spiritual traditions. And so I had a chance to really learn meditation and visualization and group processes and, and also to integrate how I fed my body and to learn Qigong and Tai Chi and uh, all kinds of things. So that was sort of my early introduction. And then through the course of my life, um, I have found myself drawn back into service to the natural world. And what I realized, um, which seems appropriate to share for your Be the Love listeners, is that when I first realized how much I loved nature and that I really looked to nature as uh, Gaia, as, as my version of the sacred, mm-hmm. um, when I realized how much I loved her, love her in current tense, it frightened me because I thought, I can't show this to anybody. I can't talk about this. They'll think I'm crazy. And um, and then the more I lived into it, the more I realized that I actually had to talk about it and that it was part of my what felt like my assignment or a soul calling to do that. So over the last 32 years, I have uh, co-founded and been guiding this organization called Bioneers. And Bioneers brings together people from all walks of life who have visionary and practical solutions for many of our most pressing social and environmental challenges, um, seeing it all as one system. And so I've had an amazing opportunity to witness and learn from and be mentored by um, thousands of very disparate leaders. And that led me on a quest to learn about how people are reinventing leadership and women in particular. And then I had this big awakening in the early 90s when I saw a film, which listeners and everyone can find online, called The Burning Times. And when I saw The Burning Times, and it tells the history of three to 400 years of European history, which had correlations all over the world, where seven generations of women were systematically tortured and burned for the supposed crime of being witches. And, you know, we learn about that this a tiny bit in the mm-hmm. U.S. with the Salem witch trials. But in fact, it was a much bigger event than that. And it actually took place all over the world. And when I saw that film in various iterations, when I saw that, it led me into research because I had to find out if it was true. And I learned that all of our civilization systems, or many of them, um, were transitioned over that time from the purview of the feminine to the purview of the masculine. Mm. And the women who had been the healers and the midwives and the herbalists were among the first to be persecuted. And, uh, but by the end of the burning times, only men were allowed to practice medicine. And women were forbidden, actually, and not allowed to attend medical school. And at the beginning of the burning times, the women owned much more wealth in Europe. And by the end, there was a huge transfer of wealth. And there were changes in land use and changes in agriculture and everything, everything changed. And what I began to realize was that all of the most pressing problems that I had learned about through Bioneers could be seen as an imbalance of the masculine and the feminine. Mm -hmm. So then I started convening very diverse groups of women leaders to uh, learn from and with them about women and leadership and reclaiming our true selves so that we could bring ourselves most fully to this time that asks and invites so much of us. So I think that's the shortest way I can share it. Wow. <laughs> that wasn't too long. <laughs> no, that was all just beautiful information. I just love. Yeah. And so like, you know, over time, the, these civilizations and how it has become imbalanced. And we see that in, you know, the the patriarchy and how it's influenced our world and the 
imbalance of you know the masculine and feminine energies and i i do see you know that shifting a little bit you know we're becoming more aware of toxic masculinity and you know the patriarchy and and bringing the feminine but I'm just curious, you know, with all of what you said and, you know, let's talk a little bit about how do we really balance the feminine and masculine energies and, you know, what does that look like and how do we really start? Well, you know, that's such a great question. And I think, I think maybe it's a lifelong process, at least for me, it is. And what I find for myself is that I am continually both unpacking and releasing old definitions and belief systems that I never consciously took on. You know, like things like that emotions are a female or feminine thing. Well, how crazy, they're a human thing. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, uh, I believe they're one of nature's most valuable ways of speaking through our bodies and through our systems, and they don't belong to the masculine or feminine. You know, this whole idea that relational intelligence is a female thing, you know, or that, or that the feminine is sort of pink and frilly, you know, I think, I think we have to, I think we have to reclaim what for each of us are truer definitions of both the masculine and the feminine. And uh, certainly toxic masculinity has done a great deal of harm. And there's a lot of evidence coming up now from people who study primates as well as history that, you know, the true masculine is protective and the true masculine in, among primates, our closest biological relatives, you know, the alpha male in a group of chimpanzees actually teaches the young males how to break up fights, not how to start them. And the alpha male defends the young males if someone else is attacking them. And among primates, if uh, a female chimp who's just given birth dies, an, a male can adopt the newborn baby and raise it. And so, you know, there are all these very, you know, we can look to cues and clues from our history, from our ancestors, and from our inner knowing about what the true masculine and feminine are. And then, you know, I like to refer to this image that I have that within myself, I imagine that there's a spectrum of human capacities. And on one side is the feminine and on one side is the masculine. And, you know, the feminine also has fierceness and clear definition and, you know, a tremendous capacity for protection and for foresight. Um, the masculine is not only the active principle, but also um, has, you know, tremendous capacities for decisiveness and for seeing ahead and for collaboration. Um, and so I like to imagine that I have this whole spectrum of human capacities inside myself that I can draw from anywhere on that spectrum, given whatever the needs of the situation might be. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And and so what I'm hearing too is that it's really, it's starting with the inner inside. We must balance our energies on the outside. So they're reflected on the, or excuse me, we have to uh, work on the inside to reflect them on the outside. And that will eventually, you know, begin to really shift consciousness as we're each doing our own inner work and balancing those energies within, because we do all possess the masculine and the feminine. And so really taking um, time to to do that and, and shifting those paradigms. You know, I love yeah. what you said about, you know, emotions are a human thing because we tend to, you know, think of it as, you know, feminine and, and being, you know, going in inward. But men, you know, or, or, you know, the masculine energies, I think, you know, it's important to recognize that they also sometimes we need permission to go into those feelings. I mean, we all yes. do, I think. And, and but it has traditionally, historically been not safe for that. And so recognizing that, yeah, we it's it's part of all of us. We have to feel to heal. 
Exactly. And I think, you know, it's one of the things that I learned in the course of all those week-long retreats with women is that we are reinventing leadership from the inside out. And what my first book was all about was that, you know, the leaders I most admire and aspire to be like are the ones who are leading from their hearts. Mm. They're leading based on what they love and want to be in service to, not Mm. because they have a graduate degree or an inheritance or have earned a big job title. You know, leadership, I think, for all of us now needs to come from inside and from the heart. And when we reinvent leadership that way, it's easier to claim that title because I found that both in myself and many of the women leaders I was working with, nobody considered themselves a leader. And I thought, well, that's crazy, right? If what we need right now is leadership in everyone, Mm -hmm. let's look at how we're reinventing it. So yeah, yeah, from the inside out. Sorry. That's okay. I love this idea of like heart-centered leadership because I can definitely identify with the the stigma of what a leader looks like and what they sound like and how they present themselves. And it has a different feel between the more traditional masculine way of leadership that I saw growing up uh, versus a more feminine approach. So I love for you to talk a little bit more about this heart-centered more feminine style leadership, like what does that look like? And how can we step into that when we don't feel like we're a leader or the traditional definition of it? Well, in many ways, I think this is so relevant to your podcast because in many ways, I do believe that it it comes from knowing and learning to trust and love and appreciate ourselves. And what I believe this new definition of leadership it really looks like is that it's being in service to what we love the most and care about the most. And it's putting relationship before task. Uh, and it's being willing to say we don't know when we don't know the answer, right? The old model of leadership is supposed to know all the answers. Well, none of us know all the answers. And in point of fact, I think we all, every human on the planet, needs to be listening right now a lot more than we're talking and thinking we know, you know? So so how do we cultivate within ourselves and with our close collaborators and start to develop relationships that can be collaborations? A safe space for really exploring and really listening for the way forward, the next clear step. Um, Instead of charting a path and then heading for it no matter what and how do we make space in our meetings to put relationship ahead of task and what I mean by that is you know in our organization really before we have work meetings we check in because this is a challenging time and some have kids and some are grappling with health issues and we need to know about whole people who we're relating to in order to care and collaborate well. And even though it may take a little longer, um, what I've found is that when you build those relationships first, things move much better and more swiftly afterwards. And I think, you know, sometimes people ask me, um, what are some keys to good collaboration? And I think part of it is really slowing down at the beginning to build the relationship, to reveal some of your tender spots and some of the places you're learning or growing into Mm. so that then when you're in work mode together, you actually have more dimension for how to relate to each other. That's really beautiful. And and it sounds like too, in that process, you're creating a safe space for people to come in and, and be themselves and feel, you know, like they can contribute in a an environment that's going to appreciate them them as who they are, you know, rather than just say a number, um, as I think the maybe traditional workforce might have, you know, conveyed um some sense of that. And so yeah, exactly. Okay. And I was just going to add, you asked earlier about what is my definition of leadership look like? And what I wanted to share is, first of all, I think it has a much broader circle of inclusion than any other definition, than the old definition. So 
raising kids is one of the greatest acts of leadership anyone can do, right? Mm -hmm. Motherhood, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Being an artist is leadership, right? Organizing your community to grow food together, that's leadership. So there's all kinds of ways of expressing leadership. And the way I am coming to understand it is that it involves really knowing yourself well enough to know what particular gifts and talents you're here to offer the world. Mm -hmm. And then learning which issue and which tragedy that's going on in the world calls you most, mm -hmm. which one makes your heart open and expand. Mm -hmm. And then looking for that place that needs a reinvention in the world where you can, where your gifts can combine with the need for reinvention in a service mode that brings you joy. And in that way, it's self-regenerating. Mm. So that's really my best definition of leadership for now. Mm. I love that. And, and so I'm wondering, you know, kind of going along with that and, and balancing the masculine and feminine in this leadership, um, I'm wondering also, can you talk a little bit about what you mean? Because you mentioned in your book, marrying the sun and moon. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about that and how do we truly come from that place? Well, you know, this is the part of me that really loves archetypes and myths and symbols. And I have long been a student of indigenous cultures who really have a story that um, the bird of humanity has flown on only one wing for far too long. And that this is the era for the return of the feminine. And that in order for our entire species to really manifest its full potential, men and women and the masculine and the feminine have to be equalized. And uh, even, you know, my favorite primate researcher, Franz Duval, says in the questions about gender equity, we focused on the wrong part. We focused on gender. And gender is a very fluid thing, but equity is what's needed. And, you know, Carl Jung, the great archetypal psychologist, basically said humanity's best flourishing comes from the marriage of the masculine and the feminine, the marriage of the sun and moon. And, you know, there is something sacred and beautiful about that and about how the masculine and feminine are designed inherently to be twinned, to be complementary with each other. And that doesn't mean reinforcing binaries or cisgendered anything. It just means that in all of us, regardless of what gendered body we might happen to be in, marrying the masculine and feminine within and making peace between them is a first step towards doing that in the world. I love that concept, especially with the energies of the sun being the more masculine and moon being more softer feminine. And what are what are some uh, tools or or things that we could do to help this marrying process? Like, what have you found useful either for yourself or people that you've worked with? That's a great practical question. And I, <laughs> one of my earliest lessons, and this is actually a spiritual lesson that I learned from a Peruvian uh, shaman who has, you know, has a long lineage. And he, at the end of a very, very long ceremony, he said, if you remember only one thing, remember this, consciousness creates matter. Language creates reality. Ritual creates relationship. Mm -hmm. And so one of the tools that I have found especially helpful is making up rituals. Um, and here's an example. Like I noticed early on in my own process that when I came out of the shower in the morning and looked at myself in the mirror, um, I had this litany of voices that went off in my head and the voices said stuff like, oh, your butt's too fat and your belly's too round. And, you know, wouldn't it be better if you were tall enough and you're not strong enough and all these critiques. Right. And I realized as I embarked on self-cultivation, really on growing myself to become 
who I believe I was brought here to be, um, that I wanted to stop doing harm to myself. Mm. And in fact, that I could create a ritual that would help me in my journey towards self-love instead of self-limitation and self-critique. And so I um, found a body oil that I liked and I scented it with essential oils that gave me great pleasure when I combined them. And I shook it up. And each morning when I get out of the shower, I oil my body with that oil. And as I do so, my meditation is that I'm pouring love into my body. And I'm appreciating my body for all the ways that it holds me and makes me mm -hmm. able and strong and, you know, gives me beauty and gives me capacities and all those things. And so that's one example, um, you know, in terms of the masculine and feminine, I mean, I think there are all kinds of rituals that we can make up. I think befriending the dark is a very important way to start elevating the feminine within us all mm -hmm. and uh, and recognizing and appreciating the complementarity and getting connected with the cycles of the moon. Mm -hmm. You know, a friend of mine just wrote a beautiful book called Luminous Darkness mm -hmm. that I would commend to everybody because she challenged herself to write a book about the masculine and feminine principles without using those words. And I think she's brilliant. Um, so, you know, I, I think one of my favorite examples of this kind of feminine leadership, uh, uh, there was a woman who took one of our retreats who was a labor organizer. And she described coming into a meeting with all these big guys. And she was the one woman in the room and she was in charge. And something had happened that broke her heart. And she sat in this meeting and she cried. And she didn't apologize for crying. And while she cried, she explained why she was crying. She held her full dignity. And she modeled for all those men, it's safe to cry. Mm. And I love that. And she didn't get taken down for it. You know, in fact, they probably respected her more for it. So, you know, how do we make peace? It's a million little ways, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I I love that, you know, it's really just and rituals I think can be so powerful, you know, when we mm. can create those and begin to incorporate those into our lives because we have this foundation or this anchor that we can come to and we can just build on that and, you know, that begins to really just change you know how you feel about yourself others the world and so so many things can come from that in the universe you know you're working with universal energies and and you know mama earth and and i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about the connection to nature because i think you know you mentioned that in the beginning and and you know and the cycles of the moon and you know because i think there's such a disconnect from you know, our, our mama Gaia, mama, you know, mother earth, we're, we're, you know, inside and we, you know, forget that mother earth is like really reflection of what's happening within ourselves. And, you yeah. know, if we can really begin to connect back to her and the roots, and I think it would be, you know, it's, it can be so life-changing and for people, you know, and so I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that and maybe sure. other rituals that might help people get reconnected. You bet. Well, and there's a lot, one of the things that I'm so happy about offering this book into the world at this time is that it gives so much practical instruction for how do you do rituals and what are the questions you want to be asking yourself and how do you embark on this journey of self-cultivation? There's a, a story that I would share, which is that when earlier this spring, as you know, um, there was a huge wildfire where I live in northern New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And it was actually only about seven miles from our home. And our home lives right on the edge of the national forest. And we love living here. We love this place. And we came here 
when we really needed to be healed and it has held us and healed us um, in many, many ways. And so when the fire was happening, it was frightening and exhausting. And we had to keep all of our windows completely closed because the smoke was so bad. We had to get air purifiers. And I realized that my animal body was just exhausted from being tensed, ready to flee at any moment. And, uh, you know, we had to have to-go bags and figure out where we would go with our dogs and all that. And um, I reached out to a friend who, again, has studied very deeply from Indigenous peoples how to cultivate sacred relationship with nature, with the land. And I asked her because I knew that in Northern California, she had been able to do rituals that protected where she lived. And she taught me how to do a ritual. And she said, select a tree somewhere around your home that you really love, that you feel connected to. And start every day doing a ritual where you put flowers around the base of the tree and you pour water around the base. And sometimes you pour wine around the base of the tree. And as you do these things, you go into a meditation where you are consciously asking the tree to be your messenger to the sky people, to the mountains, to the ground below. And you're thanking the tree and the land and the sky and the mountains for holding you in this place. You're asking its forgiveness for all harms that you may have done and that your people may have done. And you're asking its help to reclaim balance. And as soon as I started doing that, I felt better. Hmm. And it wasn't very long after that, that the rain started to come. Hmm. And we got this incredible, what we call a monsoon season in the in the high desert, mm. where it rained almost every day. And we got mm. thunderstorms and lightning. And I continued to do the ritual with this tree. And we have had four lightning strikes on our land this summer. Wow. Um, two of them blew apart huge trees. And two of them, one of them hit the tree that my that's my ritual tree. But it didn't destroy it. It just scarred it. It made this beautiful scar down the whole 40 or 50 foot length of this ponderosa pine tree. And so, you know, the other thing that I would say is that my learning from indigenous peoples is that in many traditions, when a baby is born, the baby is assigned a clan relationship. And the baby becomes part of a wolf clan or a turtle clan or an eagle clan. And in that way, you know, they do rituals throughout their lives that connect them spiritually with all of their relations. And that's why the Lakota saying, Omotokiasin, to all my relations, you know, what I've been realizing is What's sacred to us is what we love most. Mm -hmm. And our relations are often what we love most. Anyone who's had children knows, right? Mm -hmm. um, or witnessed a parent passing or, you know, we have so much love for our relations. So how do we cultivate and start to listen for relationships? At the very beginning of the pandemic, I got guidance to identify an ally in nature that could be my teacher. And, you know, I listened very carefully with my whole body and all of me. And I identified a plant that has been teaching me so much over the last two and a half years. Mm. So, you know, I think we learn to listen and to cultivate relationship all around us because she is quite literally our mother, and we are quite literally a subset of nature. So thank you for asking that. It's so important. Mm. And especially now when we're facing so much environmental damage and threat. I love that story of how the plant and the trees 
becomes our teacher and what we need to see. I think so often we forget we're, we're looking for another human, you know, yeah. something like us, you know, but we are so much more than just this human body that we get for this however long that we get that to ask the plant or the tree or the animal yeah. for guidance and the messages do come. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, you mentioned that you did receive messages from this plant um, shortly after the pandemic. What were those messages or what was at least one of the messages that you received? Well, you know, the plant that called me uh, is called an Apache plume and it's a very unusual plant and it's the only plant uh, around our home that has been proliferating like crazy over the last several years. It used to be very rare and it's endemic to this region, which means that it, it came from here. It wasn't transplanted from somewhere else. And it's a funny plant because the way that it blooms, it looks like its blossoms look like Cindy Lauper's hair. So it's got these beautiful fuzzy pink blossoms that happen. But otherwise, the plant is kind of spiky looking and it looks it looks like it's full of thorns. But in fact, it's not really full of thorns. I think that's just a defense to keep birds from eating its plumes. Mm -hmm. And it actually creates blossoms, at least this year, more than once during the season. So it has some brilliant strategies to defend itself. And it also has brilliant strategies for regeneration. And I feel like those are both really important lessons for this time. Thanks okay. for asking. And if folks look it up, you'll see it's the most beautiful plant. It's weird, but beautiful. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> it sounds like a beautiful plant. And yeah, just to be open to the messages that nature has for us, I think, you know, and it can come in different forms, you know, and so just to be open to that. And just to kind of switch gears for a minute here, sounds like you've done a lot of work with Indigenous cultures, and you've um, been able to learn a lot from that. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about just your journey of becoming a white ally and what that's looked like and how your path has led you to dedicate to this racial justice, which, you know, is so, so heavy and so important in this time as well. Well, thank you for asking about that. It's fully a third of the book that is dedicated mm -hmm. to it. And, and really, you know, the first thing that came to my mind when you asked me that was that there's a saying that I've heard Van Jones say, that doing racial justice work is like walking through a room full of rakes. Mm -hmm. And when you walk through a room full of rakes, there's almost no way you can't step on a brake and have it whack you in the head, mm -hmm. right? And it is like that. But what I don't hear people talk about often enough is um, the joy of it, what an honor and privilege it is. So, uh, you know, I learned from the natural world that I've studied through my long relationship with pioneers that in nature, diversity is nature's failsafe against extinction. That in diversity, in nature, diversity is not the spice of life. Diversity is the essence of life. Mm. And they did a study years ago where they studied two different plots of land, one where there were many, many different kinds of plants growing, and one where there was a monoculture and just one kind, which is how most of our food is grown, unfortunately, now. And what they found was that when there were weird weather events and, you know, invasions of bugs and blights, the land with the most species was the quickest to recover. And the land with only one species was the hardest to recover. And so I learned that early on in my journey. And as a result of that, all the work that I did with women's leadership groups was focused on having very diverse women there. And some of that meant having terrible gaffes and making really bad mistakes and realizing 
how much my white privilege has given me blinders mm -hmm. and how much I have not really seen or felt more importantly, you know, I tell a story in the book about my heart being broken open by this dramatic event that happened with a woman of African-American descent who had an asthma attack in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, with no inhaler, and how I went through that with her and found myself sunk to the floor weeping afterwards because I realized that no matter how long I had known about the increased rates of asthma and heart disease in communities of color that were low income, where, you know, the most toxic industries tend to be cited, no matter how long I had known about that, I had known it in my head and I had not previously felt it in my heart. And that experience just blasted my heart wide open. And I realized that privilege gives us blinders and that it's it's a very intentional path to walk, to learn to be a good white ally. And honestly, I feel like I'm still a newcomer to it. I've learned a lot, but I've got so much more to learn. And, you know, what I'm finding is that Oftentimes, uh, the people who have suffered the most have the most to teach us and have the most of a certain kind of deep wisdom that's been conferred through walking through the darkness and the fire of trying to be intentionally genocided and managing to survive. So I think we're all facing a time where there is enough that threatens life that those lessons of learning to survive through hardship are super important. Mm -hmm. And that therefore I've come to value my sisters and brothers who are indigenous and other people of color just immensely. And to realize that I have more to learn from them uh, often than they have to learn from me. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's such an important point. And especially, you know, with white privilege blinding those spots, you know, I think there yes. tends to be a lot of maybe entitlement or just feeling like there's this, if we want something, we go, we go get it. And, you know, we don't think about the other person and where we're getting it from. And, and so, I, you know, I see that a lot in, you know, especially in, um, indigenous cultures of like, you know, the, there's the plant medicine world and there's, you know, the, these traditions and people are bringing them into other ceremonies without really understanding where it comes yeah. from. And and so yeah. I'm wondering if you can just talk a little bit about that and what, what maybe reciprocity would look like and what really honoring, you know, the traditions and holding value in that and giving back to those communities that are sharing their knowledge right now. Yeah. Well, thanks for raising that. I mean, I know from many of my indigenous friends and allies that cultural appropriation is a terribly sore spot for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that it's really, it's, it's so true. As you were speaking, I was realizing that part of our cultural training as white people is to imagine that coming from our heads is the smartest or the best way. Mm. Whereas actually coming from our hearts, most people of color know already is where we need to be led by. Mm. And also that, you know, most both indigenous and other people of color communities have a big leg up on being a we culture rather than a me culture. Mm. And I think that's part of the transition that we're in, is to learn how to be a we culture. Um, and part of that means approaching those people who have guarded those traditions with tremendous respect and tremendous care and citing where things come from and always citing your teachers and asking permission before you quote somebody. I mean, there are just a lot of things that I'm continually learning. And in many ways, I think the most important lesson is to approach with respect and reverence and humility. Because really, 
you know, again, there's this sort of ingrained assumption that we're smarter or better trained or something, you know, because we have all these privileges. And in fact, it's a different kind of knowing that we need to learn right now. And that means we have to approach those who carry that kind of knowing with tremendous deference and respect. Thank you so much, Nina. So as we begin to wrap up, can you give us like this vision that you have for what does political reform in the future look like for you? Like if you had to think from this ideal place, if you thought from like your heart center, as you've discussed many times during our conversation, what does that look like? (laughs) Well, uh, part of what I write about in the book is my vision for this because because of pioneers and being able to witness all these movements, both environmental and social, throughout all these years, what I've realized is we actually share much more in common than we have that divides us. And yet, because of our culture, which tends to focus on separation and deficits, we have all these fragmented movements, even within the women's movements. You know, they are fragmented by generation and by race and by class and by orientation. And the truth is, I think that our vision for a truly democratic future that gives all people and all life a full opportunity to thrive um, can best be achieved by overcoming those false separations. Mm -hmm. And I think it relates back to the beginning of our podcast where we talked about overcoming the false separations within ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, the movements need to overcome the false separations. And my favorite imagining for a, a transformed political future is that we get so many millions of people out in the streets together in peaceful protest on behalf of the future that we want, that it's undeniable. Mm. And that it is transformative and that that happens in a contagious way all over the planet. Because really many of the threats that we're facing here are also happening all over the world. And I think it has to be led by women and the men who love us. Mm. And I think that the women's movements and the feminist movement need to be reframed so that men don't feel them as a threat, but understand that when women are lifted into equity, everything gets better. Everything improves. The economy, you know, the the ecology, the education, the food sovereignty, the water systems, everything. And this is proven. Everything gets better as women are lifted up. So that's my vision for how it could happen. And I'm doing all I can to help help it manifest that way. I like to say we'll manifest that way. Mm-hmm. I love so, it. I see the vision. <laughs> yes, that was so beautiful. Thank you for letting us mm-hmm. on that journey of yours. And to conclude, how about you tell our listeners where they can find you and anything you're currently working on? Well, I'm currently working on all kinds of things, which <laughs> tends to be how my life is. Um, but I have a lifelong commitment to Bioneers, which is extraordinary. And so I would share that as a resource. Um, it's Bioneers.org. And it's, um, it'll give you access to amazing videos and talks and articles and a newsletter and podcasts that are award-winning and exceptional. I'm really proud and honored to have published this book. And it's really the culmination of my 30 years of learning. And it brought together my learning from Bioneers with my learning from the women's retreats so that it really offers a kind of how-to guide, whether you're an educator or a woman working by yourself, to how to cultivate yourself or a woman in a women's circle, which I highly suggest and advocate for. Um, So the book is beautiful. And there's an audio book, there's a Kindle, and there's a print version. And, um, and I hope you'll join me on that path. 
And then I have my own website called ninasimons.com. And I always post if I'm doing teachings or online offerings there. So mm. all of those ways you can stay in touch and I would welcome it. Mm. Well, thank you Join so me much. on the journey. Yeah. Yes. And we will add all your links to our show notes so people can find you easily. Well, thank you. Oh, yes. What a pleasure to be with you both. Absolutely. Well, thank you so mm. much for this beautiful conscious conversation. And it's just been really fun to, to talk with you today. So thank you. And and thank you for listening to Be The Love Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends, giving us a five-star written review on iTunes, or liking us on Facebook. Please consider supporting our mission to awaken our souls with special guest interviews and speak the love conscious conversations with your co-hosts, myself and Brenda. A monthly donation of $2.22 or $5.55 really helps us with the operating costs of this podcast so we can continue to spread the love. To contribute, please visit our Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash be the love podcast and stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays and Thursdays at 5.55 a.m. Mountain Time. Thank you, Heather Lynn, for providing us with your beautiful song to accompany our show, Be the Love. If you would like to learn more about Heather Lynn and her music, please visit her website at heatherlynnmusic.com. And thank you, Christy Grace at Leading Edge Productions for the beautiful design and graphic. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, we are souls on the journey to align to our divine purpose and shine our lights. So keep on shining. <laughs>